0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com, that's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello there, my friends, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 446 of Sustainable Minimalists, a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing the main tenets of simple living, and we're doing so by going backwards. We're discussing 125-year-old wisdom a la Charles Wagner, and we're applying it to 2024. Today, I'm speaking with Suzanne Johnson. She is the author of the amazing book of Vital Simplicity, Charles Wagner's The Simple Life Revisited, and it's amazing. It really, truly is amazing how 125 years ago, so 1900-ish, it's amazing how wisdom from 1900 is extra applicable to 2024. Suzanne, I'm so excited to have you on the show. How are you?
1: I'm doing fine, Stephanie. How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm really great. And I really enjoyed reading your book. Before we talk about your book, before we talk about the central tenets in it, I want to talk about you. And I specifically want you to take us back to 1995, I believe it is, when you found yourself seeking out a simpler way of life. So take us there.
1: Okay, so that's really about when it started for me. I really was thinking about, I want to live more simply. Life is too complicated. And I was successful in my career at the time. I had young children and was just going all the time and had the house, had all the things. And it still felt like it was a bit overwhelming. Every day felt like a challenge in some ways, even though outside looking in, the life was good. And so when I found the Elaine St. James book called Simplify Your Life, I thought, this is it. This is the key. She's describing exactly what I experienced. I have my day planned out, my work day planned out. I take care of the kids. Everything's exactly as it should be. But she felt hollow because it was just too much. And so I related to that. It just felt like too much effort going into everything. When I knew inside, I was meant to slow down and enjoy this life instead of just running through it called Simplify Your Life. And she had a hundred things that you could do, practical things to do to simplify life. And I read that book and Implemented some of the practices, but I found myself every January going back and reading that book again because I would feel like I just needed that reset. And I didn't just do it two or three years, I, probably for 10 years, every January I would read that book. And I made some progress towards simplicity. It felt like it was two steps forward, one step back. So I made a little progress, but I was really seeking an internal shift. And that wasn't happening as much as I, effort as I was putting towards it, you know, decluttering, doing all the things that we do. Um, so that was the start of it. Um, and then I happened on Charles Wagner's book, and it made a difference in that shift that I was looking for.
0: Okay, so I'm writing this down because it speaks to me. You mentioned that you were doing all the things that this book... This is pre-internet, by the way, in 1995. This influencer essentially is telling you to do to simplify your life. And okay, yeah, you might see some benefits here or there, but you didn't feel the internal shift is what I believe you said. I feel like that resonates with me and a lot of my listeners likely as well. So we're doing the things, but it's still not hitting home. What is it about... First of all, who is Charles Wagner? I'm sure many of my listeners have no idea who this man is. Who is he? What did he write about? And what was it about his writings that really facilitated that internal shift for you?
1: Yes. Not many people know who he was. Charles Wagner was a, a French reform minister, actually, who lived in the 1800s. And he wrote several books. He was quite liberal for his time. And he wrote The Simple Life. And that's the book that this that my book is based on, among other things. He loved nature. And so he wrote The Voice of Nature. And he believed in generosity. But he really believed in the simple, just living a simple life. It's putting it plainly. And he wrote that in 1895. It was translated into English in, I think, 1902. And then soon after that, Teddy Roosevelt read it, was influenced by it, invited him to the White House. So he was known at that time, but really in obscurity for us today. So the way that I found him was interesting because maybe 12 or 13 years ago, I got a Kindle and I was searching for Simple Living. So I did a search for books on simplicity for Kindle. Free books on simplicity, actually, because I was pretty frugal. But I searched that and found this public domain work called The Simple Life. And I started reading it, and I thought the language itself is beautiful to me, the way that he wrote. But from the very first page, it grabbed me that here is someone who really knows what he's talking about when it comes to simplicity. He outlined here are the blocks that we experience in our modern time. And then here are the things that we can do to overcome this. And the fact that it was written over 125 years ago, but it's so spot on for today was just amazing to me. It's one of those timeless um, books. And so I wanted to bring it to the modern reader. There's so much good information there that I wanted to share it.
0: His words really are truly timeless. So 125 years ago, I don't know, you don't know, we were not living 125 years ago. And yet still, his wisdom is applicable to 2024. And so as I was reading your book, because you do a great little thing in your book, which is you take Wagner's words, and then you maybe add your little spin on it. If and tell me if I'm getting that wrong, but you modernize it, you update it, you give your own little take on it. Uh, but so your words are phenomenal, but his words are also phenomenal. And so I I took some of his phrases from your book, and I'd love to talk to you about them. The first one that really stopped me dead in my tracks was, of course, quote: "We suffer the consequences of a too artificial." Life. Now, what on earth was a too artificial life 125 years ago? I don't know. I don't know if Charles Wagner could foresee what is so artificial about 21st century living, but that's my first question for you. What, in your view, is artificial about 21st century life, 2024 living? What are the consequences of such? artificiality,
1: if that's a word on the long scale. And what's step one? Good question. Obviously, I think we could point to social media and say there's a lot of artificial living there. Um, Although it's a good thing. I wouldn't have connected with you without social media. I use it. I like it. But what we see is what people want to present what can happen you ask for the consequences also it can lead to a loss of true intimacy if we use that and we think that we're truly connecting with everyone that we see on social media and if we're not actually having conversations with them then it's a false intimacy it's a false relationship so any of these things that I'll mention several but any of these things that that I mention it's not that they're bad in and of themselves it's how we use them right with social media that's one example another example that i think of personally to artificial life is that things will satisfy me <laughs> that if i just have the next object that i see in the store that i want to buy and i for me personally the journey that i've been on is really looking at the true cost of the things that i buy and the consequence of it could be that I lose that connection with the earth and everything that goes into a product that I buy. And so that can be a consequence there. Another one that really, again, this one is personal to me, is the push towards anti-aging. And I am myself middle-aged and just in the last year or so, I have really started to embrace that. Letting the wrinkles be there, letting the gray hair show, and because I want to be authentic, me. But again, I don't. I think it's important for me personally not to judge what's what choices someone else makes. But just as you, I like the way you presented the question: What is a two artificial life in twenty twenty four, and what are the consequences? I think our consequences is that we can disconnect. We can disconnect from. Our environment from each other and even from our own authentic selves.
0: That's so true. And we're seeing the consequences of such disconnection, aren't we? We're largely, as a society, and I'm I'm not talking about individuals, I'm talking largely, we're seeing rates of depression and anxiety continuing to rise. You mentioned social media. In in some ways, we're more connected than ever before. But in other ways, that connection is shallow, vapid. It's not true connection. And so I actually, when I read this quote from Charles Wagner, we suffer the consequences of a too artificial life. I agree absolutely with everything you're saying. But I'm also wondering whether he's speaking to the fact that society at large is focused on the wrong things, seeking out and striving for the wrong things and living hollow lives. And I, I and we'll get to that later. I have a lot of thoughts there. But let's move on to another quote <laughs> that also just stopped me in my tracks. All right, here we go. It's a long one. So everybody buckle up. As an inevitable consequence of the law that needs are increased by their satisfaction, the more goods a man has, the more he wants. The more goods a man has, the more he wants. Now, let's update that and just say the more goods a woman has, (laughs) the more she or they want. But I'm curious in your life, let's start with you. How has
1: owning less led you to desire less? So about two years ago, I guess, I sold my house and moved into a two-bedroom apartment. I had been thinking about wanting to eventually move into a tiny home. For several years, I, everything I do, Stephanie, takes me some time. <laughs> it's a slow progression for me. For several years, I had been looking into that, and I thought a good interim step for me would be moving from my house. It was a three-bedroom townhouse with a garage and an attic, and moving to a smaller two-bedroom apartment. And then my plan is, once my youngest graduates from high school, that eventually I'll move into a tiny house. So that's the goal. But what I found was when I forced myself to downsize and get rid of so much, it felt so good and so freeing that it the momentum started going. And I now, lately, I've been so clumsy. I'll just tell you this. I've been so clumsy. I have broken so many things lately. And I broke, hit a sh- on a shelf in the kitchen. A number of dishes fell out, and I don't mean just one or two, like six or seven dishes broke. Some of them had belonged to my mother, and at first I thought, oh, it it was hard. And then after I swept it up and threw it all away, I thought, I'm not replacing a single one of those. It just felt freeing. Several things like that have happened lately. And I guess that having less leading me to wanting less is not anything I tried to make happen. It's just happened in the process of downsizing. And so again, there's some internal work that I've done along the way as well, which we can get into, but just it's truly my desire now is to be free from these things that encumber us daily. (laughs) I really want to be free. I hear that. I hear that. And I'm thinking about
0: something that is prevalent in my life. It's called the Diderot effect. I've talked about it before on the show, but I haven't talked about it in a while. The Diderot effect without going into, you know, what it is or how it got its name is essentially when you acquire n- fancy, shiny, cool new stuff or let's say when you renovate a room, let's say you redo a bathroom. The Diderot effect is what happens when you then look at all the other rooms that you didn't redo and they look extra drab, extra just shabby and gross, right? So owning more or updating more leads you to desire more. And so once you realize that there's a I I don't know how else to call it, but there's essentially like a veil over our eyes as to, oh, we need this, that, or the other thing. But once the veil is lifted and we realize it's all a mirage, it really is kind of like (laughs) the Wizard of Oz when the veil is lifted and you realize it's just a guy behind the curtain. It's the same with stuff. Once you realize that it's not going to solve your problems, it's not going to make you happy long term. You're just a cog in the wheel spending your money to make somebody else rich, it loses its luster, at least for me personally. All right. So let's move on to the next one. But can I no,
1: wait? Let me thing. see. Can I add one thing? Oh yes, please. Yes. One thing it's interesting that you say that because for probably a couple of years now, anytime I see an ad that calls something a must-have, I immediately dismiss it. I won't look at it. I won't listen to it. Because all of these things are not must-haves, but we're made to believe that this new moisturizer is going to make your face glow, and this shampoo is going to be fabulous, and it's, like you said, a mirage. Yeah.
0: We're always seeking some sort of internal state with our purchases, and the purchases almost never live up to the must-have hype or whatever the claim is. All right, so Suzanne, we're going to take our ad break, but when we come back, we have so many more 125-year-old Charles Wagner quotes that we are modernizing. We'll do that in a minute. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit HomeThreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. HomeThreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. Today I'm speaking with Suzanne Johnson. She is the author of the must read book, everybody. It's titled A Vital Simplicity Charles Wagner's The Simple Life Revisited. And I really like how you take age old wisdom, Suzanne, and just modernize it. I mean, I don't know what life was like in the year 1900. I can guess. It was very different, vastly different from 2024. And yet the wisdom, remains. I guess that's the definition of wisdom, isn't it? It lasts. It it perseveres. All right. So next quote I want to discuss. Here we go. Quote, pleasure, like all other truly precious things in this world, cannot be bought or sold. Okay. So this one's very interesting to me. What do you say to people who buy something new it's flashy. It's beautiful. A new dress, a new pair of shoes, a new handbag. Maybe it's a designer handbag. Oh my gosh, it's gorgeous. What do you say to people who say, I just bought a new handbag and it definitely brings
1: me pleasure? Take it away. I will say that there are things that I buy that bring me pleasure. I like certain types of shoes and they're re- I really like them and I wear them and I'm happy that I bought them. And then there are some purchases that, of course, I think, why? What was I thinking? But it's not about the purchase itself. It's about what am I seeking with it? And I would say pleasure, true pleasure versus instant gratification. So if what I'm looking for is instant gratification, I can buy all day long and it's going to be over very soon. But the seeking of pleasure like the true lasting pleasure, I'm not going to get that from a purchase. I'm going to get that through connection. And again, we've used that word before, but it's connection to other people, connection to my family and friends, connection to the earth, walking about in nature, experiencing that, art, poetry, the fun. I have fun. I'm I live in the South. College football is a big thing. <laughs> I have fun with that. I enjoy television, I movies. So it's not like somebody who's not enjoying the things that are out there to enjoy. It's just that I don't put all of my happiness in things. That's really what it amounts to.
0: Yeah, I've said before on the show and I'll say it again like as we're taking our last breaths, we're not going to say to ourselves, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I bought that designer handbag. (laughs) We're just not going to say that. We're going to say, oh my gosh, I'm so happy I spent that time on the floor with my children, or I'm so happy I had that Easter, Thanksgiving, pick the holiday dinner. I'm so happy I hosted that and I had all my loved ones around my table, even though at the time I didn't want to do it. And even though at the time uncle so-and-so was spewing his whatever, his political rants, like those are the moments that matter. We know what lasting pleasure is we know what it is every single one of us listening knows what lasting pleasure is what it brings us uh, so then why and i'm not saying if you don't need a new bag or new shoes you don't buy it i'm just wondering why we put extra emphasis on the stuff when the stuff we all know is what doesn't truly matter do you have anything to say on that because i i asked that question but even i still too you know i'm on the internet i'm on social media and i see a targeted ad and i'm like oh my goodness that would bring me pleasure
1: (laughs) so do you have any thoughts i do the same thing i it really i really do the only thing i would say is that i just being more aware of it i think helps me and you did the no spin january right And so what you did is you held off and said, Oh, if I still want it in 30 days, we know we all know the tricks. We've, we've tried different things like that, and it helps to reset. It helps us to refocus if we just slow down, but it's something that we all deal with every day. I will say that the thing that's helped me lately is what I was talking about earlier about just the more I let go, the more I am just aware of what i already have i think there's a gratitude that just comes to comes in into the picture and i truly have everything i need and most of what i want so i'm we're i'm privileged and that's just something to remember is that that thing is not going to it's, it may give me the momentary pleasure, but it's not going to change the trajectory of my life. It's not going to change my true deep down emotions and, and how I interact with people. So practically speaking, I think it's an awareness. That's step one is the awareness.
0: So let me ask you this, Suzanne. I always wonder, you know, I found intentional living through minimalism when I was 30 years old and I became a mother how much of this awareness do you think is just
1: maturity getting older i think a lot of it is and i'm a little older than you are you you got it a lot quicker than i did let me say that but i do think we start we come to a place in our lives at least this is for me i have come to a place in my life that i'm looking back over my life and i'm thinking About what has truly mattered to me and what I want the next few years of my life to look like. And that's part of the reason for the tiny home, part of the idea of actually living closer to two of my sisters. They live in Texas and possibly being there with them and just traveling around and visiting family. So, yes, I think a a lot of it has to do with where we are in our lives. I'm just real thankful to be a little centered in just the stillness and the gratitude for what I have and not really needing a whole lot at this stage of my life.
0: All right. So we're going to move on to the aspect of simple living and the quote from Wagner that I personally struggle with. This one's hard for me. He talks a lot about He calls it publicity, but I think it's more about being someone or being important. I think being important really sums it up. You don't wanna be just a nameless, faceless person in the crowd. You wanna rise up in your industry and your community, whatever it is. You wanna be important. You wanna be somebody that others look to, right? I must say, this one still hits me hard. I struggle with this. Because if I'm not validated by others, then how am I to know that number one, my work is worthy? How am I, number two, to know that I'm worthy? And even as I'm saying this out loud to you, Suzanne, I know it sounds crazy, but like we live in a world in which our worth is monetized, numerized. I'm thinking of this podcast. How many downloads does it get? Is it financially stable? If it's not getting a lot of downloads and it's not financially stable, my natural inclination is to say, what does that say about me? I must be nothing. And so I know this is my ego talking. Like I'm aware enough to know that it's that little devil in my mind saying these thoughts. I, I know that but I don't know how to break out of
1: this thinking trap. <laughs> so help me out. Okay. So do you mind if I read a little from of that quote? Because I would love it. I think it's amazing that this was written in 1895. It just it shocks me every time I read it. And I've read it many times. One of the chief childish inclinations of our time is the love of personal publicity. To emerge from obscurity, to be in the public eye, to make oneself talked of. Some people are so consumed with this desire that we are justified in declaring them attacked with an itch for publicity. In their eyes, obscurity is the height of disgrace. Therefore, they do their best to keep their names in every mouth. So I would say what he's speaking to is an extreme. It's the love of personal publicity. It is that my worth is totally dependent on other people knowing who I am and talking about me. And if that was true then, it is 100 times truer today. It is how many clicks, how many likes, how many downloads, who's sharing my post. (laughs) I'm guilty of it as well. But if that's how I measure my worth. It's all good. All of that is good stuff. And it's important, especially for making a living doing what we're doing. The numbers are important. But if I decide that my worth is tied to that, that's a problem for me. And like you said, that can be my ego speaking. If I'm not validated in this way, how do I know my worth? Now, I want to make a distinction. You said, if I don't get feedback on my podcast, how do I know that it's reaching people? It's important for you to know if you're reaching your audience and you're providing content that's useful to them. But it's when it crosses the line to my worth, not is my podcast of value to people and is it helpful to them, but what does it say about me? And what I had to do to work through that and what I still do is I do internal work looking at honestly looking at not just my assets but my my mistakes my owning my mistakes looking clearly clearly looking at and having I have friends I have mentors that I work with and we look at these things and we talk about them together and say that yes this Suzanne you did this well she'll say to me you might consider that this would have been a better approach. And the more I do that work, the less it it doesn't wreck me if I make a mistake. I just apologize for it, do what I need to do to make it right, and move on. I
0: think what you're saying is very similar to, are you doing this work for you so that you gain notoriety, so that you become someone, so that your self-worth is validated and and amped up by others? or are you doing this work out of your mission and this is something i also learned from your book when you work from a place that's mission first as opposed to me first that's when things start to change and so for me personally in this podcast it's me right like this is my baby <laughs> and so i also i always have to silence the me and focus on the mission if that makes sense. And I encourage everybody else to do the same in whatever you're doing in your life. Why did you start this thing? Why are you passionate about this thing? And let the mission
1: lead. That is exactly his main point. And so you hit the nail on the head there. It's if I work out my mission, if I really spend time, and we can talk about the ways to get there, I think that's really important. But once I really know what drives me then if something gets in the way of that if shopping gets in the way of that i'm going to reduce the shopping if one thing that i do is i spend too much time on my phone <laughs> looking through posts or reading the news and all of that and some of that is good but if too much of that happens then that's getting in the way of my mission so that that internal drive what you spoke to is exactly what he would say He would say, yes, work out your mission and operate from that place inside of you. Speaking of phones,
0: Charles Wagner had no idea that we would all in 2024 have super powerful pocket-sized computers in our pockets at all times. That's where I want to spend some time with you, Suzanne, is talking about a tenet of simple living, which, of course, is more silence, more solitude, more reflection. I don't see how solitude, silence, and reflection can just happen in 2024. It may just happen in 1900, but that doesn't happen now because of the cell phones. (laughs) They're always there. They're always pinging. And we're also addicted to them, so we're always picking them up. So talk to me about, let's start here. I have a lot to say about solitude and silence and reflection, but let's start with the cell phones. What are you doing to, I don't know, maybe step back from this technology, this very powerful technology, and why are you doing so?
1: Yes, it's something that lately I have noticed has picked up for me a lot that I spend more time than I had noticed. So there are a couple of things I'm doing. One is leaving my phone in the other room (laughs) for times, for hours, uh, and just taking a break, turning the ringer off and not even and turn disconnecting from my watch because I have a smart watch too. So if text comes in, it comes in on my watch. And so I don't I need, I have to have focused time away from that. That's one thing I've learned. I have lost some focus over the last couple of years, and I think it has to do with my attention span because of my use of my phone. And so that, that's one practical thing, leaving the phone in the other room for a couple of hours. Another thing that I do that I think is so important, and, and it's something that Charles Wagner definitely would, if he were here today, he'd be talking to us about this, and it's being out in nature. It is so important for us to recognize the beauty that is around us and also for me being in nature helped it that's what helped me work out my own mission was that time alone in recognition of the beauty around me and it doesn't have to be for me there have been times a trip to Sedona you hike a mountain stand atop a vortex, you're going to have some revelations, but it can just be walking around in my neighborhood, or there's a lovely little lake near here in town, Radnor Lake, that I'll just walk the trail around there. And that connects me to my spirituality. It connects me to nature. It connects me to this earth and to other people as they're walking by. It's just a, a beautiful way to away from the technology and feel what's important. Another thing that's really simple to do is just breathing. It's just five minutes a day saying, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm just going to breathe. I'm not going to look at anything. I'm just going to close my eyes and not going to listen to anything, but just breathe. And then I do practice meditation on a daily basis. So that helps as well. Yeah, it's just those little things that we can do to disconnect. And again, it's that the better I feel when I do things like that, the more inclined I am to do them on a regular basis.
0: Yes, yes. I have a lot to say here. I feel as though, for me, a smartphone in my pocket at all times means I'm constantly on. And being constantly on is incredibly stressful for me. I also don't, so let's say you're probably saying like, oh, just put it on airplane mode or put it on silent or whatever. That doesn't work because I am also addicted to this very powerful technology. And I then also, because it's at my hip, feel the need to check it. And so I've been experimenting with leaving the house without it for many hours at a time. And I know people are thinking, oh, but what if you get in an accident? I'm going to take that risk because <laughs> I'm pr- practicing an experiment. And the weight that is lifted off my shoulders, the weight of answering right away, the weight of checking I don't know, my email right away, all those weights are gone when I just make some serious distance from my phone. And like leaving it in a different room is fine, but I'm talking about leaving it in my house and going out of my house or turning it off and then leaving my house. I think I might be the perfect person to get a dumb phone moving forward because when I am away from my phone, the mental wellness that I receive is just so profound. It shows me how much this thing is taking from my days. And my days are finite. My time is precious. Do I want to spend my life tethered to this thing? I'm not sure I do. So that's going to be another episode, everybody. But I'm gonna be honest.
1: I think I'm going to a dumb phone. We'll table that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just gonna say I love that that you brought that up. That is, other than when I'm out walking, I don't do what you just said, and I think that's a practice that I'm gonna start doing. So thank you for that.
0: Well, you're welcome. I mean, I have two young daughters, and there's a lot of talk about what technology and giving a phone to a kid is doing to their well-being. Where's the studies on what this stuff is doing to us, the adults? (laughs) I mean, I would love to know because it has profoundly impacted my life and I don't know that it's impacted my life in positive ways. So, all right, we'll table that because that really is a whole nother topic, but I want to talk about solitude for a minute. As I've moved along my simple and intentional living journey, I found myself further and further away from society, let's say. I don't know if that's the right word, but like what everybody else is doing and socializing. And that's crazy because I'm an extrovert and I crave social interactions, but the social interactions of my peers are no longer what, they, they, they're they just no longer aligned, I guess is the best way to say it. It's not right or wrong. It's just, it just seems hollow, shallow, vapid to me. And I say all that to say I'm staying home more, I'm finding myself in moments of introspection more. And yet I feel like I'm missing out on something (laughs) because I know that relationships are really darn important for quality of life. Does that speak to you? And if so, what advice
1: do you have for me? So it's interesting. I'm an introvert. (laughs) For me, (laughs) solitude is easier. I tend to recharge when I'm alone. And so I crave, I end up craving that solitude. But what you said about the friendships, and I do know that there are people that I care for deeply that our interests are not aligned, or it could be our political views or or things like that, that can be challenging. But what I have myself found is my own tribe. (laughs) I have a group, as I mentioned earlier a mentor, friends, a group of ladies, actually, that every now and then we get together for lunch and we just, we gel really well. And we can talk about very deep things that there is no pretense. Everything is open. They know me, they know my life. And that I think was very important for me because that helps me. I need that connection. And I need to hear the harsh truths and then the gentle love. And I get it all from these women. And so I think that my, you asked for advice. (laughs) I don't like to give advice, but (laughs) I would say find the people who are your tribe. Find the people that you connect with that you just, when you are with them, you feel energized. When you are with them, you learn and you grow and you help them and, and you're just there for each other. And that's where you invest. That's where I invest my time and my heart with the people that are really close to me.
0: I love that you said that because it gives me hope. So I feel like there's a three-stage perhaps. And I don't know if it's for everybody, but for me personally, I feel like there's a three-stage process that happens when we move towards intentional living. The first is the recognition that what everyone else is doing is not working for us. It's shallow, it's an illusion, it's this, it's that. And I would say that probably everybody who's listening to this show is there or on their way there, because if they weren't, they wouldn't be listening to this show, right? They'd be listening to a different show. So that's step one, realizing that it's all an illusion, essentially. Step two would be, doing things differently, going against the grain. It's hard. It's difficult. It it can be lonely sometimes. That's step two. But then step three, and I'm in step two, I think. Sometimes I dabble in step three, but I'm mostly in step two. Step three is just rising above it and just knowing like, this is the way forward for me It's countercultural. It's not what the masses are doing, uh, but it feels right. And so that brings me to my final quote that I want to discuss today, which is, of course, from Charles Wagner, simplicity is a state of mind. I feel like, how do I put this? I feel like I'm in an intermediate space, like what everybody else is doing and what they're striving for and what they're talking about it it doesn't mesh with me. I'm not there. But I'm also not in the place in which I can fully step into and be and happily live in my own space, if that makes sense. I'm making choices and I'm living my life the way I think it feels right, but I'm always looking to everybody else and I'm thinking everybody else is doing it that way and they seem so happy and I'm struggling so maybe i should just maybe i'm the problem maybe i'm i'm the one that needs to reevaluate maybe i should just go with the herd and so i don't know if there's a question there but i'm wondering i'm i'm sure somebody is listening right now and they're like i get it stephanie i get you
1: <laughs> but i'm just going to give you the microphone and you can do what you want with it <laughs> <laughs> this might be quite interesting then <laughs> no so many things you said i wish i was taking notes so many things you said Made perfect sense to me. One example: I am just now. I, I told you sometimes I'm a slow learner. I am just now getting. Our food sources are. It, it's not okay that rainforests are being decimated so that we can eat meat. Is crazy to me, and there. And that's another podcast, in, or five or six or ten. But those things have driven me to start eating plant-based. And it's not really popular to do that. And it's, and especially going to a restaurant and finding all the things. And that's just one example. I mean, that I find that that has, that's a challenge for me. I look at it as a journey that I'm just learning and I'm figuring things out just like I always have. And it's going to be okay It's nothing terrible is going to happen as I'm trying to figure these things out. It can feel lonely. It can feel like, doesn't everybody else see this? How do they they just dismiss it as nothing? It's really important. To me, it's really important. But then I have to have that, I have to go back to that non-judgment place, that place that says, I don't get to decide what their journey is. That's not up to me. The only thing that I control is myself. And I can inform, which you're doing with your podcast. I can inform, I can learn, I can grow, I can make decisions for my family. And I, but ultimately, I'm the only one that I can control. And so I've got to somehow make peace with that. That goes back to, for me, the spiritual connection, the meditation. I will always take the action, but I will leave the outcome. It's out of my hands. I basically, I'm just not too, I'll take the action, but I'm not too attached to the outcome. So I do what feels right. And then if things don't go my way, that doesn't derail me. Does that yeah, make sense? That
0: speaks. Yeah, that makes sense. That speaks to me. Tell my listeners where they can find you, your book, all of it online, which by the way, Charles Wagner had no idea would ever exist, the internet.
1: (laughs) First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity. It's really been a true pleasure getting to know you and and talking about these things. Um, You can find me on my website, SuzanneSJohnson.com. That is the easiest way to find me because I've got links to... uh, social media, to Instagram, Facebook. I have a link to my Vital Simplicity blog where I post poetry and different things, excerpts from Charles Wagner. And also that website does have links to my books. So you can just one-stop shop right there. (laughs) I'll link
0: to it in the show notes as well. But Suzanne, I just want to thank you so much. i truly gained so much insight and inspiration from you. So thank you so much. Thank you. I feel the same about you. Listeners, that's a wrap. My friends, I so hope I gave you something to think about. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 446. And we'll be back tomorrow for headlines, but I must also make a plug for Tuesday's episode many of you. So it was one, and then it was two, and then it was almost a dozen of you. A dozen of you reached out, and you said, I watched this documentary. It was called Kiss the Ground. You need to interview someone from the nonprofit Kiss the Ground. And I thought to myself, let me watch the documentary first. So I watched the documentary, and holy moly, regenerative agriculture. Yep. I need to talk about that. So On Tuesday's episode, I'm speaking with the CEO, thanks to all of you, of Kiss the Ground. Don't miss it. Why regenerative agriculture is important, what it is, how we can do better, why we need healthy soil. That's Tuesday. I'll see you then and take care.